I know Highland, as we have gone almost a year into this pandemic, all of us are yearning and aching for things to get back to normal. And although we long for that, going back to normal, it's also a season where we're anxious about wondering if going back to normal is even possible, if, if things have maybe not permanently changed for our city, the world, and for Highland. But I also think there's a suspicion that maybe normal wasn't all that great. Maybe going back to normal isn't as healthy as we think it might be. And we've learned a lot during this pandemic, things we want to carry forward with us. For example, in, in the spaces that the pandemic created when we were restricted to staying at home, a lot of us learned to enjoy going outside more, taking walks with the family. We've had rhythms change in our lives, and some of those rhythms with more time, a slower pace, we found that refreshing and, and healing. We spent more time with family, and we've learned some new hobbies. And those are things that we want to take forward. That, was, that is what we want to be our new normal. But I think what we've also learned during the pandemic, I know I've learned this, is that we may have been relying too much on the church, on our staff to take care of our souls and our children. That families have had to take time to remember what it means to lead a family through family devotionals, to learn to pray together again, to take communion together. And we have been blessed as we have seen our children step into those leadership roles around those family tables. And so we want to take those things forward with us as well. And we've also discovered that, that when we couldn't meet together in a big assembly, what carried us through this pandemic and what is still carrying us through are our small groups, the way small groups of Highland members have continued to meet and to care for each other and to pray for each other and to be there for each other as we've gotten sick, as we have grieved, and as we have looked for just companionship. And so we've realized that maybe we've been too reliant on big assemblies and that we need to get smaller. And we've also realized that a lot of us aren't in those small groups, that going forward, the new normal has to be, everybody has to be connected. And lastly, I think one of the things the pandemic has revealed is a great spiritual yearning in a lot of our lives. I know we're all worried about who's gonna come back when we finally kind of open up. Who's gonna be back in the pews again with us? And we fear that we're gonna have some missing faces when we are in the auditorium again. But I also know that this is true. That as the pandemic has washed over our lives and it, and it knocked down all those things we used to fill our days with, you know, going to the movies and, and going out to dinner and all the entertainments, that when all of that got knocked down, what was revealed in many of our lives, in the lives of our neighbors, was a great emptiness. And a lot of us have been lost during this season and are looking for some bigger, more durable answers. A spiritual hunger is, I think, spreading all around this world. Some of us, the pandemic revealed that the only thing we had in our lives was Netflix. And facing that void and emptiness, it's made us yearn to be back together again. And not just us, but our neighbors. And so there is a great field of evangelism out in front of us as well. And there is ministry to be done. So Highland, we don't know what the new normal is going to be. It is a great blank canvas. And although that canvas fills us with anxiety, it also is opportunity. A moment of visioning and reckoning. And Highland, we are asking you to help us paint in that canvas.
right, guys, please stand for the reading of the word from Ephesians 6. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his power. Put on the whole armor of God so that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. For our struggle is not against enemies of blood and flesh, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers of this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Ephesians 6, 10 through 12. The word of the Lord. Please be seated. Before we jump into the text today, I have one quick thing uh, that I want to tell you about. Ash Wednesday is coming up on February 17th, and we are going to have an Ash Wednesday service this year. Uh, so I want to invite you to come to that. It's going to be at 7 o'clock here in the auditorium. All of our normal social distancing and masks uh, are going to be put into place. We will impose ashes. That's when the uh, person makes the, the gesture of the cross on your head with ash, and we're, we're going to do that in the most sanitary way possible. Um, and so I want to invite you to, to come to this service, and here's the reason why. This is the one spot in our Christian calendar, in the rhythm of our lives, where we're reminded, and it's just brought to the front of our faces, that you came from dust, and to dust you're going to return. The truth of Ash Wednesday is, we're all going to die. Which I know is not a reminder that we need this year. It feels like every Wednesday has been Ash Wednesday on some level this past year, but, but this is an important time, and so we want to invite you to come and participate in that. Now, we realize that for some of you, that's just a bridge too far. You can't come into buildings yet. You're still online uh, for our congregation, and we understand that. So uh, we're, the staff has developed a program where you can drive up to the portico over on the south side of the building, and from the hours of 7 to 9 a.m., 11 to 1 at lunch, and uh, 4 to 6, you can have a drive-by imposition where someone is going to speak words of blessing over you and make that sign of the cross to remind you that you are sealed. That the story of our lives is not just from dust we came and dust returned, but that's just, that's just the semicolon of the future. And as we look forward to, to heaven this year, as we look forward to Easter and the promise of the resurrection... We're going to do something special this year that uh, we've never done before on Ash Wednesday. So I want to talk about it for just a minute. This has been a heavy year. Like I said, maybe every Wednesday feels like Ash Wednesday to you. And some of us have lost a lot of things. Some of us lost prom. Some of us lost graduation, that first year experience of college. Others of us lost great vacations that we were planning on. And still others lost the ability to attend weddings and funerals. Still others of us haven't been able to hug our grandkids in nine months, and that's terrible. And so we're going to remember the things that we've lost, particularly the lives that we've lost. And so over the next 10 or so days until uh, February 17th, if you would like to, you can go to highlandchurch.org slash Lent, and you'll find a drop-down box there where you can put in the names of people that you know that you've lost. Someone here at our church, someone in your own personal sphere, and we're going to read those names. And we're going to light candles to remember them Candles that represent prayers for them. It's going to be a special time of remembrance. And so I invite you to, 
go onto the website, and if you've, if you've lost someone that you want us to remember, you can put down that name and join us on February 17th. As Darla said last week, I am, I'm grateful and I'm aware that a disease that has caused so much hardship and loss for so many passed me and my family by with the lightest touch. And I'm grateful for all the many calls and the texts and the prayers that you've offered on my behalf and on behalf of my family. Um, I'm, I'm feeling pretty good. I want to remind you, if I do cough during a sermon, that, that's happened before. That's not necessarily COVID. That just may happen, and let's not all freak out and run to the exits. Um, but uh, I'm grateful for this church and the way that you love my family. I'm feeling good. My, my, my son Micah is recovered. We're, we're in a really good spot. But let's, before we jump into the Word, let's spend a moment in prayer. Heavenly Father, we are grateful. We are grateful for all the many ways, the myriad of ways that you have blessed us, that you have called us, that you have equipped us to work in your kingdom. Father, now for those that are sick and suffering, we pray your presence. We pray for the competence of doctors, nurses, and physicians that are attending them. Uh, Father, we pray that your spirit will be with them in the presence of friends and family who love them so dearly. And now, Father, as we turn our hearts and our minds to your word, I pray that you pour through me the gift of preaching, that I might speak your truth and love to these, your people. And it's together that the church says, amen. So we've been in the book of Ephesians for a few weeks now, and Ephesians is, is looking at that big picture of what it means to be part of the big church, the cosmic church, church with a capital C. It's the church that spans all time and history and place, not just that expression that exists here right now, but kind of that big understanding. And Paul wants us to understand what that looks like. And, and Ephesians is basically in two sections. There's chapters one through three that kind of lead us up to what does it mean to be part of that cosmic church. And then four through six that kind of explain because of what we understand that means, this is what it looks like. And in chapter 3, Paul kind of hits this, this fervent pitch. It's almost, it's the most exciting, the most energy in, in the, the entire book. It's the triumphant Christ bringing a unity of all things under the power of the Holy Spirit to the will of the Father. That God's grace invites us into a new family that is Jew and Greek, male and female, slave and free. And in chapter 3, Paul bursts into song that we might know how the God who loves us and how, how far and long and wide and deep is God's divine love. But today we're going to look at chapter 6 because he, he wants to remind us to see what the real battle is. Paul says your, your struggle is not against flesh and blood. Your struggle is not against flesh and blood, but the, the powers and the rulers and the, the, the presence of this, this present darkness. And the key to that is that you have to know who you're really fighting. And you have to see what the real battle truly is. It's not your spouse. It's not your roommate that annoys you. It's not that person at work who's always stepping on you. That's not who the real battle is. Because the section right before this section is about, it's this household code. As, as Paul explains how you act, how you behave around the people that you're closest to. 
how you love them. It's, it's instructions about how to be a, a Christian parent and a Christian child, how to be a Christian husband and a Christian wife, how to be a Christian slave and a Christian slave owner. And I get that's a little bit tricky. But those people aren't your enemy. We live and work into the kingdom, so we must see the real enemy. Priscilla Shire has this great story about what does it mean to see what's really going on. She took her, her kids, she has three sons, and she, she took her sons to this trunken treat. And it was one of the trunken treats where they, the, the, the church built a lot of games. And the coolest games at this particular trunk and treat was this, this truck and the kids could climb up into the back of the truck and they were given this giant foam hammer and next to the truck was this, this area that had this cloth on top of it and there were little holes and every now and then a little puppet would pop up, a little stuffy would pop up and the child would take that hammer and, and smash it. It was kind of like a life-size version of whack-a-mole. It was amazing. And this was the longest line at the trunk and tree. Everyone wanted to check this game out. And she was standing there with her, with her son. And her son was getting impatient because he liked to play the games. But he also wanted the candy. But there was a kid behind them that was getting even more impatient. He just wanted to cut in line. He wanted to jump in front. Uh, some of you with vaccines understand that struggle right now. And he's talking to his mother. And he's just getting more and more frustrated. He said to his mother, just hold my place in line. I'm going to go get some more candy. I'll come back. And his mother wants to teach him patience. And so she says, no, just wait. We'll get there. Just wait. The little boy, he couldn't have been more than four. He just couldn't take it anymore. He couldn't stand it. And now that I have a, a three and a five-year-old, I understand this boy's impulse. He runs up to that space where they were playing the whack-a-mole, and he grabs the sheet, and he just rips it off. And everybody sees what's underneath. Three adults crouch down like this with puppets on their hands trying to play whack-a-mole. You have to know what your real enemy is. Because the evil one is scheming. The evil one is making plans. Now, you may perceive the devil as a person or a personification. And I get that's a long theological discussion, and, and you may fall on either side of that discussion. You may, you may see the devil as a person who has a personality, who an active thing, or you may just see it as kind of how Paul describes it. There's these rulers and powers and principalities, all of this kind of this spiritual deal, and that's just the kind of the personification of evil in the world. And I don't, I don't know if it matters very much which side you take on that. I'm going to speak today of the evil one as a person. I don't really mind if someone makes a mistake and they offend me. I don't really mind if somebody makes a mistake and they hurt me. I don't really mind if somebody does it on accident. They, they just a mislaid comment. It's going to hurt my feelings, but I'm going to get over it. It's not that big a deal. You probably feel the same way. But what do you do if someone is scheming against you? What do you do if somebody's making plans against you? When you walk into that meeting at work and you realize that the decision has already been made before the meeting and you're going to get the raw end of that deal? When someone is putting lies into the heads of others to discredit you, to malign you, to ruin your, your reputation? 
What do you do in that moment? What do you do when someone is out for your job or out for your marriage or out to ruin your children? What do you do when someone is making plans that are actively trying to destroy the future of your sons and daughters? You just sit back and take that? Somebody can insult me on accident, but when someone is scheming against me, that's a problem. The evil one is scheming. The evil one knows your name. The evil one knows your middle name. The evil one knows your social security number and your mother's maiden name because the evil one is trying to steal your identity. Wants to take who you are, who you've been made in Christ, and change it somehow and make you accountable for things that you have no business being accountable for. The evil one is scheming. The evil one knows when you are weak and knows when you are strong. The evil one knows that soft and tender part in you that ignites your anger or your depression or your complacency. The evil one is scheming. The evil one uses all of this to plan and to plot and to conspire. There's nothing more important and more serious in the mind of the evil one than to move your heart away from God and to leave this church impotent. And for some of you, 2020 wasn't the worst year of your life. It was the best year of your life. Because you made, made more money than you ever had, or you made more connections than you ever had, and things have been better for you than they've ever been. And we have to watch that that isn't turning our hearts away from God. Because the evil one will try to get you when you win, and the evil one will try to get you when you lose. The evil one has schemes. In the same way that those robbers laid in wait for that man that was going from Jerusalem to Jericho and jumped out and grabbed him, the evil one is patient and crafty. The evil one has laid traps in your life and in the heart, in your heart, 10, 20, 30 years ago, just waiting for the right moment to catch you unaware. It's kind of like that old boyfriend or girlfriend that sends you a Facebook message about how they were just wondering what you were up to because they remembered all the great times and wanted to connect. And oh, by the way, they just got a divorce. That was a trap that was laid 20 years ago that the evil one has patiently schemed. And if I saw the trap, I wouldn't have stepped in it. Okay, this is going to get a little gross, and I apologize for that. My shoes, I do not know how this is possible. My shoes are like dog do trap, or dog do magnets. It never fails. It, I can't help it. I don't know how true this is. I don't know how it's possible, but it's, it's, it's just there. And inevitably, after I make that kind of mistake, my wife or my kids will say, Dad, why did you step in that? Well, if I had saw it, I wouldn't have stepped in it. And those schemes are not against you. Those schemes are against us. Paul would argue in the book of Ephesians that there's nothing more that the evil would prefer than to wipe this church off the map. 
to turn this building into a piece of abandoned property like one of those old abandoned Walmarts that no one knows what to do with. And here's the thing. You don't have to defeat the evil one. Jesus has already got that covered. You don't have to defeat the evil one. You just have to stand. You just have to stand. I was careful for like nine months. Did nothing. Washed my hands way more in the last nine months than I had before. Used way more of that antibacterial gel than I ever had before. Did not go anywhere. I'm an introvert. I kind of loved it. And just about two weeks before I could get a vaccine, I catch COVID. All I had to do was stand and wait, and I didn't do it. I wouldn't have stepped in the trap if I had seen it. And the solution to the evil one's schemes is vision. And you can't have vision unless you're paying attention. This week I had time on my hands and I went outside to get some vitamin D and I was looking up in, the, in, the, in the, our backyard we have this great big, you know, probably 75 year old pecan tree. We also have some live oaks uh, on the other side of our backyard and the live oaks have leaves year round but our pecan tree has been barren but it was beautiful. It was like 75 degrees in my backyard, perfectly sunny day. And I'm looking up and I'm just kind of enjoying watching the pecan tree because there's nothing else to do. It's just this quiet moment in the middle of my afternoon. And I begin wondering to myself, when is that pecan tree going to get leaves? And in my head, I just had this little daydream about tree shepherds. And a tree shepherd knows that it takes so many days in a row where it's not too cold after it's been cold for a long time. And, and just so much sun before the, the buds begin to sprout on the tree limbs. A tree shepherd knows that in a grove of pecan trees, the trees on the east side, for whatever reason of the grove, begin to bud first. And then it kind of moves across the rest of the trees. A tree shepherd knows this because a tree shepherd pays attention. You can't have vision unless you're paying attention. I'd kind of like to know what's going on here exactly. Have you ever seen this in real life? How exactly did this happen? There's construction guys around there. That's a cleanly cut hole. Obviously, somebody just wasn't paying attention and drove into this giant hole. Now, I would forgive this person if it had been raining and, and there was a puddle there and they didn't see it. They thought they were just going through a puddle. It just went straight down. But the reality is, is that kind of moment where they drive their car into a giant hole, it happens all the time. You see pictures like this all over the internet of people that are just driving their cars into holes because they're not paying attention. And it's not just cell phones that have caused this. The second story happened in 1973. This is the loneliest tree in the world. In the middle of the Sahara Desert, there is one acacia tree. Well, at least there was. 
250 miles around this tree, there is no other tree in existence. And it has roots that go 110 feet deep so it can go all the way to the bedrock where the water is below the Sahara Desert. Well, in 1973, by the way, this tree has served as like a, a map point for 100 years for explorers to go through the Sahara Desert. In 1973, one guy driving in his truck accidentally knocked down the loneliest tree in the world. It was the only thing for 250 miles. How did the guy hit the only thing in 250 miles? It's because he wasn't paying attention. You can't have vision unless you're paying attention. And the prophet Jeremiah says, without vision, the people perish. Without vision, the people die. And I'm not talking about a good death. I'm not talking about the kind of death where you run the race as if you were training for the prize kind of death, where you drop into the arms of Jesus, exhausted, having spent every moment of your time, every dollar of your treasure, every ounce of your talent pouring into the kingdom. And behind you is a wake of blessings, of people that have been lives who have been changed. I'm not talking about that kind of death. I'm not talking about a good kind of death. I'm not talking about the kind of death where people are standing up for the least of these and speaking truth to power, and it puts you in a place of persecution. And I'm not talking about the kind of persecution that says, hello, I'd like to speak to your manager, please. I'm offended by the happy holidays sign on the front of your store. I'm talking about the kind of persecution where your career is ruined, where you suffer personally because you will not betray the ethic of Jesus and your life is taken from you because it's the only way to silence you. I'm not talking about a good death. I'm talking about the evil one seizing your life and a bad death. I'm talking about a death from irrelevance. I'm talking about the death that some of us have spent our last nine months living, where Netflix has become our most used item in our house. The worst kind of death is where we forget our place in this world, is to be kingdom people with kingdom purpose. It's the death of irrelevance where we are so out of touch with the conversations around us, we have nothing to offer our neighbors. When we pull up the drawbridge and put down the blinds because we're scared of what's out there, because we have forgotten the truth that what is greater in us is greater than that which is in the world. And we stop paying, to what God, we stop paying attention to what God is doing in our city and in our world. And we, lo we lose our vision and we have the most worthless death of all, the death of irrelevance. I love what Richard said. The entire world is on the eve of a new season of renewal and so are we. So we are seeking God, paying attention, listening closely in order to find a new place to go. This is an exciting time. This is a time when old people have dreams and young people will see visions. It's a time where we renew our commitment to the kingdom and everything that is there. I'm not certain who is going to be in this room when vaccines have saturated our community enough that everybody feels safe to come together, but I know the people who will be in this room will be committed to the kingdom. 
And we're excited for all of you, by the way, that are just waiting to get in the doors. We can't wait for you to get here. And I am glad. I am thrilled that we get to do this together. So please stand for our benediction. Church, I firmly believe that God's spirit is pouring on us and through us right now. I believe that there are going to be moments in the next few months where some of you are going to have dreams and visions that are going to light the way. And we need to hear your voice. And the most terrifying thing of all is that we might miss it because we aren't paying attention. And so this week, may you have the courage to speak and act in the name of Jesus. This week, may you be so full of the Spirit that it can't help but pour out of you. This week, may you be filled with love and joy. May you go with God as you go in peace.